and lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Hi, uh, welcome to Lit with Lloyd, uh, sponsored by uh, KCAT uh, TV and radio, as always. Uh, and today um, I've got a very special guest, uh, and I'll explain why <laughs> as we go along a little bit. Um, our author is Lucy Leonelli, and she has written a book called uh, A Year in the Life, uh, and it's about something that you would probably never even think about. So um, welcome, Lucy. I just It's just great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Lloyd. I'm excited. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> So I'll start by telling everybody that I never read a book twice, even my favorites of all time. And the reason is, if I read something twice, it means there's another one that I didn't get to read. Yours is the exception. <laughs> uh, and I first read it, I think we said about five years ago. So tell us real, real, uh, uh, tell us in some detail about, about the book what it's about and how you came to write it and then we'll talk about some of the details of that absolutely yeah so um first of all thank you for reading it twice i think the first time you read it it was about one and a half times longer than the second time you read it um so the book how i came to write it probably makes sense to start with that so i was living a uh, very corporate life um as a partner in an executive search firm in london and I was feeling a little blinkered by that life. Um, what I mean by that is it was, I was sort of being a narrow version of myself and always growing up, I had lots of different hobbies and there was so much diversity of different kind of characters and, and people who um, came from different walks of life. And when I just settled so deeply into this corporate life, I was feeling like I was missing out. And the title of the book originally was FOMO. I think you originally read it as FOMO, which is fear of not missing out. Um, <laughs> and that's what motivated it, was just a, I need to get out there. I need to take a pause on my life as it was at that time and get out there and try as much of what the world has to offer um, and get back into all of these various different communities and different types of people who have different lifestyles and who show up to the world in different ways. And it was a sort of a, a, a kind of self-discovery as well for me because I felt like I'd settled into this one identity and there were so many more identities out there and I hadn't tried them all on. Um, so the idea was I paused my life for a year and lived with 26 different subcultures um, through the UK. I used the alphabet as a structure. So the chapters go from A through Z or Z. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, each chapter goes, it is a, the story of me immersing myself into these different groups. So uh, immersing myself in you know, living with them, social rituals, customs, etc. So uh, I, I did that for a year. I lived with all these various different communities. And just to give some examples, A was aristocracy. So I lived with the uh, Marchioness of Linlithgow, who's a, a lady, and lived with her on her country estate. For B, I did a big battle reenactment. For C, I lived with the circus, etc., and and on through. <laughs> and it was about um, the book is about, of course, the adventures. Um, so written from the first person, what I discovered along the way. But it's also about the threads of humanity and the things that connect us. And in all of these often very different communities, or people who would believe they're in very different communities. 
there were threats, there were similarities. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about that later, but that was the, the narrative that went through the book. Uh, I've certainly never heard of anything like this before, and I was just very excited to read it, and I, I loved it, as I've told you many times. Uh, how did you How did you pick the subcultures? I mean, I would assume that some letters had multiple. Uh, did you have did you have subcultures that said no? Yes. So I started <laughs> off with a very long list. I mean, some letters were easier to have multiple options for. Some were more difficult. Surprisingly, J is very difficult. Um, <laughs> N, there's not a lot beginning with N. Z, obviously, there's not a lot beginning with Z, Y, etc. So some were a very thin list. Others were a long list. And what I, the way that I worked it out was um, I needed to spend time with these groups during what was probably a significant time of year for them. So for example, P was for pagans. So I wanted to spend the summer solstice with them at Stonehenge, which is a, a, a spiritual um, place for them. And I knew that that was going to be in June. And I, I wanted to go to Crofts. I did uh, dog showing for D and Crofts is um, the sort of the Westminster of the UK, the big dog show. Uh, and that was at a certain time of year. So I had to figure out for all these different groups, what was the big event for them that I wanted to go to? I had to spend Halloween with the vampires, of course. So, um, so that was it. Was a dance, and it was a lot of sp very complicated spreadsheets of which which can I fit in. And then once I completed that layer of okay, this is roughly I think what the um, schedule is going to look like. I then of course had to access the communities, and that was challenging. Um, it's more challenging for some than others. Some are hugely evangelical, and you just have to go and you know, sign up on their website to go along to their event. Others more difficult, um, more sort of clandestine and difficult to, to infiltrate. Um, for example, um, F is fox hunting, which in the UK is very controversial su uh, subject. And there's, you know, anti-hunt is, is a huge movement. And so they're kind of quite buried, you know, underground. If you don't know any, if you don't have access to that community, it's very hard to infiltrate. And they're very nervous of any kind of media, um, you know, going into that world and, and what they're gonna what they're gonna say about them. So that was a little more difficult. Um, others said no. Actually, my original H was the Hell's Angels. Uh -huh. <laughs> I changed it later to hill bagging, which is <laughs> peak bagging, it's called in the US, which people who collect hills, they have to get to the top of um, uh. a certain list of hills. So um, very different communities. <laughs> and I did spend some time with the Hells Angels and they actually voted, um, they're a very democratic group and they voted at one of their big, um, the London chapter meetings as to whether or not they wanted to be in the book. And it has to be unanimous and one person voted against. So oh, that's, wow. why, that's why Hells Angels didn't make Out it. Out of how the many book. voting? Um, 50, 50 or so. Really? So most people were, yeah, Whoa. I'd spent a lot of time with them and built a lot of relationships there. So most people, and they understood that my agenda was, I tried to go into every group with an open mind and the, um, with a, a positive intention, right? To understand what's wonderful about this community. What's, and community is the, the operative word there. And that was something that came out for the Hells Angels. So I think they understood, most of them, that that was my angle here, was the humanity side of things. So you actually did spend time with them. I did. And then it was voted against. Exactly. Oh, that must have been so disappointing. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little. Um, it was, it was. But then the hill bagging was fantastic. Just so, such an eccentric and quintessentially British hobby. <laughs> it was just fabulous to go and spend. And that was more of a, one of those examples of clandestine in a, in a different way, um, not in a necessarily kind of, 
you know, hidden under the ground way, but in a, you don't know about it until you lift the lid on it. And then you realize there's this whole world of, you know, tens of thousands of people that you didn't know existed that have all of these rituals and customs and different groups and dinners and almost like kind of um, Masonic, honestly, was what that group was. And, and you wouldn't ever know that that existed until you found it. Wow. <laughs> uh, was it, it, you know, you said you went into it with an open mind. Did you come out of some of those groups feeling judgmental about what they do? Um, yes, I think I did. And what I tried to do, well, first of all, there was, there was prejudice, obvious prejudice. That's one of the themes in the book as well, is anytime I'd go into this group, these groups, I would assume they were going to be a certain way and assume that the people I spent time with were going to be a certain type of person. And almost across the board every time I was proven wrong, which is a you know, wonderful life lesson. Um, <laughs> an example of that is um, for circus. Um, you've read the book, you know, I met with a, um, uh, a chap who ran the flying trapeze group in the circus and he uh, sat down to hear a story and assumed he had a certain life that got him to the circus, you know, was born into it like most people are, but actually he was an accountant for EY. Um, so the opposite of what you expect a circus performance to be. And, you know, he had all of these expectations on him of what he was going to do. And, you know, he was going to make partner in the firm and that's what his parents wanted and all of his friends expected of him. And he went to a flying trapeze um, uh, a school across the, I believe it was across the road from where he worked. He went to the school and learned the trapeze and just fell in love with it and decided to throw it all in and go and live with the circus and built this business. And he's wildly successful now, but spends his day, his days touring around the UK in a caravan. Mm. He lives a very different life. So, um, so prejudice was one thing, was they assuming people were going to be a certain way and then them surprising me. And also value. So I tried to remove my prejudice as I would go into these groups and that the more that the year went on, the more I was able to do that and the more open-minded I became. But when they interfere with values, to me, that's when it became difficult. Yeah. And an example I'd give there, it's, it seems like a trivial example, but I, uh, for E, I spent time with, um, it's E is for Essex. And it may not necessarily translate here, but Essex, uh, The Only Way is Essex is a TV show in the UK. And it's about a group of, young revelers who get glammed up. I think Jersey Shore would be the equivalent here. Uh -huh. Who get glammed up and, you know, spend all of their days preening and partying and, and that's just kind of how they live their lives. And throughout that chapter, um, I was wrestling so much with my judgment of that, of that kind of <laughs> lifestyle of, you know, shallow, whatever you want to call it. And and was really, you know, I had to put fake, fake eyelashes on and get fake tans and do what's called a bejazzle, which is getting diamonds in your bikini area. Um, just all of the kind of things that that group did and then, you know, get a blow dry and go partying and spend hours at the salon. And it just wasn't my jam. It's just something that I never enjoyed. I was a, what we would, would at the time have called a tomboy um, growing up. You know, I was always wearing football kits, had my hair tied up in a ponytail. And um, that, was, that was how I grew up. So this was so very different from what I was used to. And so the first version of that chapter, which you, you will have read actually before my developmental edit, was very judgy, was me calling, calling them things like these people, which I didn't really do in the other chapters. And I hadn't taken a step back from that until I had the developmental edit. And my editor was saying, well, like, Lucy, why, 
why are you okay with the battle reenactors spending two hours getting into all of their battle regalia and dressing up or the drag queens that I spent time with spending hours getting ready and doing all of these rituals but for some reason you were really against this particular group of people that just wanted to get glammed up and have fun and it really struck a chord with me and made me realize that I had taken my values into that um, and my judgments therefore into that group and not even realized not even being able to take my filtered lenses yeah, off. Yeah, but you said that as you went further along, you were able to, to do that. You opened up more or you became more more receptive to the different types of cultures that you came across. Absolutely. Did you uh, go into these groups by letter? I mean, because you, I, I, I would think that you would have had to mix up the letters because of the different events that that they were, that you wanted to be a part of. Yeah, it's a great question, and no, it wasn't in order. Um, so the first, actually, the thing I started with first was the the sci-fi community. So the um, the convention, the Game of Thrones convention that I went to and did the cosplay and everything. Uh, that was the first idea, and in fact, that's not true. That was the second. The first I did was Fintorn, which is an intentional community, um, kind of like an Esalen here would be an example. Um, so that was an straight away a very opening um letter to, to start with and then the last one i did was hillbagging because i had to redo h <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, the last yeah. one i did <laughs> so there were some of these lessons that i learned as i went through were the same lessons but i did interweave it interweave the lessons at a different time so even though i may have learned something and realized something earlier on um in the year i put it later in the book because of the way that the chapters fell yeah 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 and i think my editor at the time um was just very keen on it being in alphabetical order which i understand it's the more natural way of doing things yeah how many of the subcultures are full-time and how many of them are hobbies Oh, I've never done the math on that one. Oh, just roughly. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, probably 50-50. Okay. So, and it depends what you mean by hobbies. So, for example, naturism, uh, nudism, as it's called here, is a hobby in the sense that they only practice together in groups at certain times, or they come together in groups for events, but also they're probably naked in their own homes, right? Most of the time, if they are nudists then they, they live yeah. naked in their own homes, but then when they go to the store, obviously social norms and probably laws, yeah, you know, they yeah, have to yeah. put clothes on. So it is a lifestyle um, as well as being a hobby, if that makes sense. So some of them would cross over both, Yeah. but the battery and acting was a hobby. Saying that though, calling something a hobby almost feels like an injustice because it was a hobby, but also lives were built around that hobby uh -huh. so some of the people that i met at the battle reenactment were you know fourth generation battle reenactors and their parents met there they met their wives there their grandkids you know are, uh are, are the, the pet their friends that they have at the battle reenactment are godparents to their kids and it's very intertwined and they spend a lot of time together outside of that and so they are hobbies in the sense. Yeah, I don't. It depends how you define the word hobbies, I suppose. Feel free to correct my <laughs> words at any time if they're not correct. That's right. all right with me. But I couldn't call the aristocracy a hobby. So some of them were very yeah, clearly yeah, like yeah, yeah. they. They would be quite offended if I said your hobby is to, you know, be an be an aristocrat. Right? That is their life. Yeah, but but like fox hunting, isn't that? I mean, that I'm, I'm sure they all yes. have their own their own jobs other than fox hunting. A lot of people do, although apart from the staff, um, who are called servants, hunt servants is, <laughs> is what we call them. Um, but the staff, um, so the, the master of the hunt, the keeper of the hounds, there are probably about 10 people in the hunt that 
do that for a living that that's their job but okay. yes um although again there's a, there's a lifestyle that comes with it so a lot of people with exceptions talking about prejudice here there are exceptions but a lot of people in that world are from the countryside and they are farmers or people who would spend a lot of time with horses and dogs and yeah. in the countryside anyway yeah um so yeah it was it was a mix okay uh we're gonna have to take a quick break and we'll be back in uh, just a minute or two Thank you to the city of Montessorino for their continued support of KCAT Public Media. The city of Montessorino has enabled KCAT to inspire, educate, entertain, and inform our community through the magic of television and digital media for over 38 years. Thank you. And we are back with Lucy Leonelli uh, and um, I've got a whole bunch more questions for her about this experience. So I'll get to those. Of the 365 days, was it literally one calendar year that you did this? Ooh, I think give or take four or five days, yeah. Again, wow. didn't do the math, but it was all within around about a year. Okay, how many, I know that you don't have an exact number. <laughs> how many days of that 365 were you at home? and not with subcultures a little more than half okay a little more than half because some uh were a week or some were longer than a week um so where i lived with them and actually completely like fintorn for example i was there for you know eight days living with them full time others were kabbalah so for k it was kabbalah that was a, a three-hour class um every week for Gosh, I think it was about three months. Um, and then I also did a big um, Shabbat and event with them and things. So some of them I kind of came back and forth a little. They broke the mold because there wasn't something I could really do with them for yeah, a week. Yeah. Uh, some were long weekends. Um, the vampires as well. That was a um, events that I specifically went to with them on multiple occasions. And I interviewed various different um, people involved in, in that community. So it wasn't as much a go and live there for a week as a just spend the equivalent of a week of time with them. Uh, did you did you determine how long you were going to spend assuming that it wasn't a specific event did you determine how long you were going to spend with these groups ahead of time did they tell you how long you could spend with them uh, how do you how did you make that determination I felt like I, I waited until I felt like I had enough um, as in I had enough of an understanding that's it's difficult to say because of course you could go so much deeper particularly with some of these right I really could have written a whole book about LARPing for example like there's so some of these communities were just there's so many different layers and facets and almost subcultures within that subculture that you really want to dive into there was also preference I loved LARPing which is live action role play um, where you dress up as orcs and goblins and go and uh, pretty much Dungeons and Dragons acted out that's it's about the geekiest thing you could do but it's wonderful um, so some of them I really enjoyed and so just tended to go back. Morris dancing, I was a member of the, Morris dancing is a type of folk dancing in the UK with hankies and bells and it's ridiculous, but wonderful in, in its absurdity. Um, and I was a part of that side for ne nearly the full year actually and carried on dancing out ah. with them. And the battle, uh, sorry, the sci-fi convention, I went back to another two years because I had so much fun. So some of them, you know, as a preference, I just spent more time there, but mostly it was, if I felt like I had, frankly, a chapter's worth of material um, and wasn't having fun anymore, that I knew I was done. 
What year did you do this? This was um, now eight years ago, so 2016. Okay, uh, so okay, so that, so you did that six eight years ago. Did any of the subcultures you said about half were were full time? Did any of them try to convert you into becoming a permanent member? Nearly every single one. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the threads. Is people are generally speaking very evangelical about what they do or how they choose to live and. Um, most of the time that was in a um in in a very positive way uh -huh. so a come join us look how fun this is do you see why they do this and people wanted to share and wanted to answer my questions and let me you know show me around their world i think that's a real human thing to want to almost i suppose validate yourself and your choices by getting somebody to come in and also enjoy the thing that it is you do um and i say mostly positive because sometimes people in those communities were almost militant in, yeah, in, in, yeah. in their beliefs and um, their way of doing things. And that's true for, that was true for most of the communities, even the naturists, uh, the nudists. So they call the non-nudist non world, the textile world. So we're now living in the, the textile world. And, um, you know, some of them believe that that's wrong. We've got it wrong. We, we shouldn't, no one should be wearing clothes. We should change the law so that people shouldn't wear clothes. Like, and I understand that you can make a case for that, but to the point where there was um, animosity towards the textile world, uh -huh. right? That was the challenge. So some mm -hmm. of these, uh, I'd say quite a few of these groups would have some members who would go to the extreme of saying, our way of being is right and true and the only way of being. Um, and therefore there becomes an other and the, the, the rest yeah. of the world becomes an other and there becomes yeah, yeah. A, a negativity comes in there. And I think that the communities that I enjoyed spending time with the most were the ones that understood um, everything's made up right anyway like, it really is like all of these we form our own identities we you know we lug them around with us we think they're really important but they're just they're based on what we what society told us to do or what we decided one day to do how we dress how we speak you know how we choose to socialize what we choose to do for a living it's all it's all ultimately made up um and the, these groups understood that and knew that what they were doing was um just a, a bunch of decisions that they made and they happened to love it, but they understood that that was maybe a little quirky and that there were other quirky groups out there and that was okay. Yeah, yeah. Rather than a, I have decided my way of being is the only way to be. Yeah. Um, which did happen a little in some of the groups. Yeah, some of, some of it sounds a little bit sect-like. Yes. Yeah, and I can understand that because they believe so strongly in what they, in what they do. Yeah, anything particularly where there was a belief system involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a spirituality. Um, those would yeah the and that makes sense right because you do have to fully sign up to that belief system um and therefore reject anything that's not that belief system there's a kind of leap of faith that comes with that so anything that 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 leaked more towards into that was was more at risk of being othered yeah yeah uh did you have any any experiences that were just downright scary or harrowing not many there were some that were very out of my comfort zone um and that was something again as the the my year progressed that i got more comfortable with which sounds like a strange thing to say but your comfort zone stretches i always think of it like a muscle right you kind of you you work it and you exercise it and it stretches further and it gets more and more flexible so over the course of the year things that i would have found very uncomfortable at the beginning of the year i was suddenly now totally okay with being a stranger in other people's worlds is something that you know i wasn't accustomed to before and then suddenly it was okay and 
it, there were moments where I would almost have like an out of body experience and look down on myself and be like, what this, this is insane. <laughs> this is, you know, spending time with the, oh, was other kin. So people who believe they're other than human, they're born in the wrong body. Um, and so, the, you know, the elves and um, fairies and mermaids and unicorns. I'd spent time with the fabulous of unicorns who are a subculture of unicorns who believe that they are unicorn spirit um, born into human body and so some things I was doing with the unicorns for example like you know ecstatic raves and things I would zoom out of that and be like I'm so used to this now because I've been doing crazy stuff for a year but if you if I'd have done this first I would be so uncomfortable Um, and but the only time I think I would or the time I was probably most out of my comfort zone was the the vampire community so vampirism um in this sense is a almost a spirituality where they believe they are born they believe fundamentally that there is everything is made up of energy and some people are born with an energy surplus and they're called to be healers some people are born with an energy deficit and they are vampiric in nature and they have to take energy through their lives and of course the the traditional way of thinking about that it's taking blood which is less common that you still do get they're called sanguine vampires um but then more often you have energy vampires psychic vampires who you know take energy from casting nets and visualizations and people's chakras and all of these other things um and that they were the the people that i spent time with were also quite closely tied with the bdsm community so i did have to go to a bdsm club with the king of vampires dressed in a latex dress which isn't something i'd ever done before you know that was something that was a little scary for me yeah have you done it since i haven't done it since That's i knew one that of the was going to be right i left i left that one it was a great experience but i left it there all right, one more question about this, even though I have many more, because I do want to ask a little bit about the publishing process. Sure. Uh, did uh, Are you in contact with any of the people that you were with during that year? I mean, today? Yes, and I had a launch party in January of this year in the UK. So the, we'll talk about the publishing process. It took me a long time for lots of reasons. Finally got the book published this year in the UK in January. It's it's officially going to be out in um, September in the US. Um, and I had a launch party on a, a, a boat on the Thames in London called the Tattershall Castle, which is a pub. And I invited the vast majority of the characters that I spent time oh. with over the course of the book. And... Um, I had representation from 17 different subcultures. Really? Oh, that's party. fantastic. So yeah, the, the Marchioness of Linlithgow Oriel uh, came uh, and just all the characters, people from the circus, nudists, LARPers. Oh my gosh, yeah, that is wonderful. so cool. And the cool thing about it is they all spoke to each other. I, I did a something called subculture bingo where I printed off a card for everybody. So they had to tick off all the subcultures just to get people talking to each other. Um, and, you know, I saw the, the aristocrat speaking to the nudist, speaking to the train spotter, speaking to the ufologist. And it was just about things that they could connect on. You know, even though they were from such different worlds, they were talking about the last series of Peaky Blinders or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just kind of blown away by that. That is that is the, the coolest thing, really. Uh, OK, publishing. Now, you, you've referred to the fact that you had an editor when you were doing this, you know, the, uh, the actual uh, visiting and things. Uh, did you write, were you writing while you were still in, you know, in between or did you not write until you were done with the whole thing? I was writing in between. So I was capturing, I had a dictaphone and, you know, a notepad and was capturing as much of what happened during the time so um you know recording interviews and then scribbling down every evening and then during the week 
that I wasn't with the subculture as, as well as it landed, which wasn't always that perfect, I would be writing and I was, I wrote a blog series. So I would write the blog for that, um, a blog post for that community the week after. And that allowed me to capture a lot of the information uh-huh. and I would just brain dump all of my notes. So, you know, each chapter was 20,000 words at the beginning. It was just a, a, a complete, everything in my head would go into this. And so I built the book um, that way over the course of the year. And the book was something like 300,000 words, you know, after that first year. <laughs> so I knew I had the material because I wanted it to be fresh, right? I wanted to remember everything. So I knew I had the material. Um, and then it was a very long process of editing it down, um, finding an agent. And uh, that took me, that process of editing it down and finding an agent probably took me another year and a half. And then we tried the traditional publishing route. So we sent it out to um, multiple publishers Uh in London. And then I moved to the US sort of halfway through that with my my work, Um, moved to Silicon Valley because um, I was working in, in tech at the time. So that sort of interrupted things slightly and then Quite quickly after moving here, I had a serious motorcycle accident and oh, broke my neck, my back, my, oh my pelvis, gosh. everything. Yeah, it was took me a year to learn to walk again. Oh, wow. So that also interrupted it. Holy mackerel. And then after that process, I was like, okay, it's been, you know, three years now since, since that happened. Um, I need to really get back on this. So that's when we decided to go through a company called Unbound. Uh-huh. And Unbound, I don't know if they have, I believe they have a sister company in the US, I don't know what it's called, but it's effectively um, crowdfunding for first time authors. So, or not crowdfunding, what would you like a Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, 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 yeah. So effectively you have, um, you make a video, you say, this is my book. This is, unfortunately I had a ton of video footage from, I have a YouTube channel and you know, I have videos of things that happened that I'd recorded at the time. So I made a video of the, the crowdfunding campaign and then I had different pledge levels. So you could pledge for the book in advance, you could pledge for a signed copy, you could pledge for an invite to the launch party. I had lots of very silly things that you could pledge for. And I had to make the cost of publishing the book, which was about 10,000 pounds in pledges. And the reason that, that my agent thought this would be a good idea for me to do is because I had so many characters that I spoke to, you know, 200 plus people that I spoke to while I was making the book and all of these different communities that I could access and that wanted to read about themselves, honestly. So it was quite um, quite a quick campaign for me to get people to commit to buying the book in advance and reach that target. Yeah. What then happens when you reach that target, um, we actually surpassed it by a fair bit. And then um, you sort of close it down for funding and then you go into a traditional publishing process. So I had a um, developmental edit first, which was a, you know, these are the chapters you need to work on. These are the things you need to weave in. This needs to be more of this, less of this, etc. So that's quite a big lift. Then it was the copy edit, which is obviously the long, um, let, let's, let's make it read better. That, that there actually wasn't a huge amount of change at that point because I'd done so much editing uh-huh. in advance, but so much time on it. And then it was, um, you know, typesetting, getting the cover designed by an artist, which was really fun, and um, going back and forth with her. You'll see that there's a there's a nudist there, and the hair wasn't long enough to cover everything, so I asked her to lengthen my hair. And <laughs> Lady Godiva. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, so we did that and went through that process, and that took that took about a year and a half. I think two years in the end between signing the contract with Unbound at the beginning through to the book being on the shelves. And then it's sold too. So it's in all the bookstores in the UK and it, it becomes a, a standard publishing deal at that point. 
And it, and it will actually come out in the UK in September? In the US, yeah, in September. Oh, exactly. oh okay. So you're already out in the UK. I'm out in the UK, yeah. When, and what when was that again? January. January, okay. Yeah. Uh, so tell us what's happening with the US. I know that it was a, a little bit of, of, you had a little bit of difficulty in, in getting a US publisher. Yes, which we still don't. So we're, it's going to be Unbound are going to um, publish the, uh, the, the physical book in the US, but they can't sell the e-rights for some reason so and it was a back and forth around that so i'm gonna put it go directly through amazon as an ebook so we then have to get that figured out and typeset and aligned properly as an ebook yeah and then the audiobook as well i'm i'm recording and that should be out around a similar time frame okay so the first thing we're going to have is an audiobook and an ebook or oh, the e-book no, it will first. be physically available it's actually physically available now because you can order it on, on only on Amazon it's not in bookstores here it's okay. only available on Amazon but you can order it I think for about 15 bucks and then it just ships from the UK okay um, but as of September you'll be able to order it physically and it will ship from the US and it should be available in bookstores okay good and and uh, so it's it's in a bunch of bookstores in, uh, in in England now yeah yeah it's in most most bookstores yeah it was that was the coolest thing seeing oh, after I... all of that time and effort seeing walking into Waterstones which is the big flagship into their flagship store in um Oxford Circus in London and it was in the middle table next to like wow. Bill Bryson oh, and Raina Wynn so cool my wife has a published book and I remember being with her when we saw it in a bookstore and it's, there's nothing like it incredible yeah you don't think it's ever going to happen it feels unreal honestly yeah, yeah, you feel yeah. like you know imposter, huge imposter syndrome you, like, you feel like <laughs> you should just move it and... alright I have one more question um, <laughs> you have set the bar incredibly high do you have a second book in mind? I do. Yes. Um, <laughs> How much do you want to tell us? I, yeah, I'd love to. It's the first first time I've I've spoken about it. So, um, I since having this you know, motorcycle accident, which was frankly I should have died. It was terrible, oh. um, and it was a. Uh, but the process of overcoming during the course of that year was there was so much positivity that came out of that. It was a, a wonderful, as well as being a very difficult experience, also a wonderful life-affirming experience for me. And I came out of that with so much perspective on what is and isn't important in life, mm -hmm. of course, as, as you would expect. And, you know, the trivialities and, and little dramas of the day were, were nothing. And yeah, it was three months before I could have a shower. So I remember that feeling of the first shower and how one, and you say to yourself at the time, I will never forget yep. how incredible it is, how lucky I am to be able to have a shower or to sit up or not be covered in wires or whatever it was. But that just dissipates over time and the normal creeps back in again. So the, my working title for the next book is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Accidents. <laughs> and it's about, and what I want to do is spend time with people who have been through big traumas that have gone on to do wonderful things right now and to try and understand how they've maintained that perspective like what we can learn from them having been through these you know incredible um very challenging but also life-affirming traumas and then you know one of the people that i hope to spend time with is now climbing mountains another has her own charity in ghana and just people that have done wonder that have channeled that experience into something wonderful so i want to go and because I like experiential, um, I like experiential things, personally like to do experiential things and that gets in my bones more than just interviewing people. Um, I wanna go and climb a mountain with that guy or I wanna go and you know fly to Ghana and work for that charity for a week and just yeah, interview the yeah. people as I go. That's the plan. Okay, well, I, I didn't expect that your next book would have a theme that could match the, 
the first book, but I think this sounds like a, a great thing. Yeah. So I, I do have one more question beyond the last question. Uh, are you physically okay? I mean, are you completely recovered? To an extent, yeah. There are certain things that I won't get back, but I'm, I can function perfectly well and have to adapt for certain things that I do. But yeah, pretty much so. Yeah, Very really lucky. sorry that happened. Yeah. But I'm not sorry that you came today because this was absolutely, it, it was enlightening. Um, it was fascinating. I, I know that, the, that our listeners um, are, are going to really enjoy it. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. We are closing the book on today's podcast. Uh, want to thank um, Lucy for uh, being here today. Want to thank KCAT for all they do for us. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next time. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org radio. Thank you.